This is the Elite Development Podcast, a show with the aim of helping athletes evolve in every element of their careers through real-world advice and experience. I'm your host, Kenny Dussault. I'm a strength and conditioning coach in Calgary, Alberta, with a singular focus on building better athletes. And now, let's get to the episode. Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Elite Development Podcast. This week, I have Brandon Harris sitting down with me. Brandon's a strength and conditioning coach and co-owner of Premier Fitness Systems in Scottsdale, Arizona. He was a three-sport athlete in high school and began his personal training career while studying kinesiology at Arizona State University in the early 2000s. He has since made his fit, the fitness industry his career and enjoys the ability to help his clients achieve what they once thought was impossible. He's also the head strength and conditioning coach for rising UFC superstar Sugar Sean O'Malley. Brandon, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I'm excited to get into this with you. Yeah, thank you very much, man. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. So the place I always like to start these interviews uh, is just getting into a little bit about you know who the guest is before they are, kind of who they are today. So can you talk to me a little bit about who you were as a kid growing up and kind of what led you to the strength and conditioning world? Yeah, so always been active, always enjoyed sports and and, and really just anything outside. And I started, I started lifting weights really early. So I started lifting weights at like 12 years old. I was, I was picked on as a, as a little kid and, and my dad owned a, a landscaping business. And one day he saw me curling buckets of rocks and, and he asked me what was going on. The next, next thing I knew I had a weight set and, and just kind of fell in love with that really early. And early on, it was all aesthetically driven. You know, you start to, you start to get a little attention from from you know from the girls in class and the biceps get a little bit bigger and the chest gets a little bit bigger and, and really that just evolved over time into a passion for growth and, and a passion for helping people but I was uh I was yeah just drawn to it really early on and have stuck with that for for a while so I'm I'm 40 now so it's it's been a little bit of a journey but it's been great yeah, I can imagine. I mean, that was a little bit the same with me. Like it was just, I started going to the gym super early, loved it. And then kind of one thing kind of led to another through, through those years. So with the kinesiology degree, was that sort of your aim? Was that kind of where you were planning on going um, when you enrolled in that? It wasn't. So for me, I, I wanted to, I had ambition of playing baseball in college and I had some smaller offers to small schools, but I had an academic scholarship to ASU. So I went that route with thinking that I potentially could walk on to that program. And, and ASU baseball is always a really good program. And I, I wasn't able to do that. So I took the athletic scholarship or excuse me, the academic scholarship and started in business and then made my, you know, transitioned into biology thinking maybe medical school and was almost to a point where I was, thinking about dropping out. Like I just didn't, couldn't find my, my passion. I couldn't find my place. And my parents encouraged me to, you know, to stick with it. And Hey, you're, you know, you have this scholarship, take advantage of that. And at, at that same time, I had really turned to training in the gym as a way to just keep my headspace clear. And that became my sport. And I stumbled onto kinesiology. So it was kind of by luck or, or maybe by fate that I found that and that became something I just was extremely passionate about. So I, I bounced around a bit. I actually spent a semester studying veterinary science. So I went, I think I went business, 
biology, veterinary science, almost like was done. This is, I can't figure out what I wanted to do. And then kinesiology, you know, I found that. And that was pretty early on. Like, I want to say kinesiology isn't like as a, as an academic, um, you know, something that you could do in college. That was pretty early on. So that would have been around 2000, 2001, 2002 ish. So it was, it was kind of cool because I was, that was something that I had always been drawn to for sure. That's awesome. I mean, clearly it's worked out pretty well for you. So I'd say it probably was fate that kind of led you in that direction. But yeah. uh, with that, like how, how do you find the kinesiology degrees benefited you in, you know, strength and conditioning and the personal training work you do now? Do you feel like it's something that is really important for coaches to have? Not necessarily. I, I think that's a good question, but I think, I think it provides a foundation. So I think it, it definitely opened my mind up to some of these concepts. Like I, I really enjoyed anatomy. I really enjoyed the physiology components and understanding energy systems and, and how it works. And I, I'm sure that a lot of that research has, has progressed um, from an academic standpoint. So I think it provided a really good framework but I think the majority of the learning that has really benefited my career has happened post-college. So you know, I, I think going to college is great. I think, I think getting through it, that's, that's a big piece of it, right? Is that you have to, you know, you're learning how to juggle things. You're learning how to be accountable for yourself. But I think people can get into that post-college or not go to college and still end up being really good coaches if that's their passion. Yeah, I mean, I can kind of see both sides of it, right? It's like, because it does provide a really good foundation of knowledge, but I got to agree the same thing with me. Like after university, I found that's when I started to really get into, you know, the coaching side of it and not just necessarily understanding how the body works, but understanding how to apply it more as well. For sure. And uh, on that note, for any athletes out there looking right now to hire on a strength and conditioning coach, if not necessarily looking for the education, what else do you feel like they should be looking for before bringing a coach on as part of their team? I, I think you want somebody that, that's passionate, that really cares, that it's not just something that they're doing to earn a paycheck, but something that they're doing because they love it and something that they're going to continue to learn and progress. I think that's, that's great. And, in, in all aspects of life is if I'm the athlete or if I'm the, uh, if I'm the client, if I'm the individual looking to hire a coach, I want somebody that loves it, somebody that embraces it, that lives it themselves. And that is really dedicated to continuing to grow. So, you know, I think that's, those are the key variables. And, and with the body, you know, this it's, it's, it's endless. You know, there's so many, you could, you could dive down a wormhole of breathing and spend a lifetime understanding that, or, um, strength and periodization, strength and conditioning, right? You can, you can spend a lot of time, probably a lifetime really understanding that. So I want somebody that's going to embrace that and loves it. And that's, that's where I would start. Yeah, man. I mean, I think that's a, I think that's a key, right? Is it's one of those, if you're trusting someone to be part of your team and be the one to help you get to the next level and continue to progress in your athletic career, you want it to be someone who's not just kind of phoning it in to get a paycheck. You want someone that, you know, this is what they want their life to be too. Right. And um, one thing, this is more for the coaches out there. I know it's one thing in our industry that I was personally, I was pretty ill prepared for. And I know there are a lot of other coaches out there as well that uh, maybe aren't so prepared for like the sales and the business side of the strength and conditioning industry. 
Can you talk a little bit? Uh, I was listening to a podcast that you did a little while ago, the Move Mind podcast. Yeah. And, uh, you talked a little bit about, you know, sort of how to ease into that side of the industry of it. Can you elaborate on sort of how you approach that? Yeah. So for me, I'm not a natural salesman because there was always something about like the, the integrity aspect of selling somebody. And I, I struggled with that early on. And then I realized that, that if I, I had to change my focus and it, in order to help somebody, you have to get, you have to get them to buy in, you have to get in front of them. So when it became, when, when the, the purpose, the focus was impact was to help people. I believe that I could change somebody's life. And I looked at it from that perspective. I can't change somebody's life if I don't get them in front of me. So I'm not selling them anything. I'm just providing my perspective and I'm providing my recommendation for how to, how to help them. That, that transition, you know, for me was huge. So if I sit down with somebody, it's, here's my recommendation. I want to, I want to listen to them. I want to understand the outcomes they're looking for, the goals that they have. I want to understand their history. And then I'm going to give them my honest opinion on, on what I think they need to do to be successful. So for me, that's that making that, that connection, that jump was huge. It's not about selling somebody something. It's about believing in yourself that you can impact their lives and then being honest with them. So I think that, I think in the coaching world and in the, in the training world, it's one of these things that like most people that get into it, it's, they do have passion and it's a, it's a very passion driven industry, right? You can go make more money doing other things. Now there's potential to make money in this as well. Um, but I think people get into this because they care about it. So I think that that connection is key is understanding like you can't change somebody. You can't help them if you don't get a chance to work with them. So, you know, be honest, be upfront, have integrity with what you do. And there is no secrets, right? It's, it's, it's not a, you know, you don't have to be a snake oil salesman, you know, to, in order to, to, to sign people up, you just, you know, honest and, and provide your opinion. Yeah. I mean, I love that. I think it was something, you know, early on for myself that I struggled a lot with was trying to talk to people about prices and things like that. And, you know, trying to talk to them about the training itself. And then I forgot that, yeah, it was, it's not about, you know, any given program or this or that. It's about what you can do to help them. And then they make their choice. And that was a big, uh, it was a big sort of realization for me as well. So, uh, I like to hear your approach on that. It's really the way to go in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, further on that Move Mind podcast as well, I remember them talking a little bit to you about uh, your coaching philosophy. And something I found really interesting was the real focus on breathing and controlling your breathing um, and meditation that you have. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, that process, what that's done for you, and then uh, maybe a little bit about what it can do for athletes preparing for competitions as well? For sure. Yeah. I so for me, it's, it's everything starts with awareness. And I think that is how I mean, it might be true for, for everything. Right. So, so, and I think if you back that out and you deconstruct, you deconstruct that and awareness of breath is foundational for how we move, um, as well as connecting the mind and body. So being able to control the mind and, and calm ourselves down. So, I mean, it all starts with awareness. So I think when you look at it from that perspective, people are going to have a hard time with 
with high sensory motor uh, aspects of training, with being able to feel their body and control their body in space, if they haven't ever slowed down enough to actually experience air come in and air leave, right? So that is foundational for us as humans, and I think it's definitely foundational for us for as athletes. So you have the mental component, you have the mindset component, you also have how we move that air influences. So airflow will, will affect the position of our skeleton. And if you think about it, if the position of our, like muscles and everything attaches to our skeleton, right? You know, like, so if our skeleton is in a, a certain position, it's going to impact how we move. So if we understand that, that's how you really influence and change somebody's ability to move is you teach them how to breathe. So it's, it's, it's definitely multi, multifaceted in that respect. Like the, the mind is huge, um, but it's also our breathing patterns will influence our, the movements that we have accessible to us. Okay. So can you talk a little bit like how did you kind of come on to these realizations and like, uh, you know, this, like any research that people can look at that uh, can sort of give them a start if this isn't something they've looked into too much? For sure. So uh, PRI, the Postural Restoration Institute, is definitely foundational in this in this um, in this model for me. They've got a bunch of really good courses, so that's probably a good place to start. Is if you're a strength coach, if you're a trainer, they have a fitness course. They have a bunch of other courses for physical therapists, for manual therapists. But I but I think that's a good place to start is understanding the impact of our breathing patterns on how we move. Um, DNS is another one. So you have PRI, Postural Restoration Institute, you have DNS, Dynamic Neural, Neuromuscular Stabilization. Both of these models are highly, highly built upon how we breathe. Slightly different, slightly different uh, models, but similar. That, that started my, that started my, my understanding of breathing and how breathing impacts movement. And then you have that other piece, which is the mind, which is meditation, mindfulness. So I think, I think when you can connect those, those pieces, you get this holistic understanding that breathing matters. And I think a lot of times we, you know, really elite athletes are elite for a lot of reasons, right? Like I don't think you take a, below average athlete and you make them world-class. But if, if athletes at, at the top, like when you look at UFC fighters or you look at MLB athletes, they all are physically gifted. They're all going to have certain attributes that have got them there. Now it's these other pieces that will separate, will separate athletes, will separate guys or girls, you know, from being again, one of the best uh, baseball players or potentially one of the best, you know, athletes in the world, world, cha world champion at something. So it, it really does matter. And then I think connecting those pieces with classic strength and conditioning, that's a really good spot to operate because from my experience, strength and conditioning coaches, specialists are really good at understanding periodization. They're really good at understanding, you know, progressive adaptation and progressive overload and how we, you know, create these, these adaptations that we want. But sometimes there seems to be a missing understanding of some of these other pieces that, that are foundational, like how we move. So 
those pieces together, I think, make a really elite strength coach or trainer coach in general. Well, man, I love that you said that because, uh, you know, like I told you in our communication back and forth before the show uh, was the thing I'm really trying to do here is get into, you know, what it is that creates those elite level athletes beyond just being skilled. Because we all know that to make it to the top of a sport, you've got to be really good at it. You know, there's nobody out there, as you said, that's going to be a subpar athlete that's going to compete with the best of the best. It's just not going to happen. But these things that, you know, once you're there and once you're in that mix, what can you do to kind of separate yourself? That's what I'm really trying to dig into here. And I think you right. gave a really good, I think you gave a really good point there. So with these breathing exercises, uh, you know, whether it's meditation or whatever else, what would you say is a good start? Like if this is something that an athlete out there has never thought of before, what would be sort of a good foundational exercise for them to start trying to start incorporating this into their schedule? So I would just start with, with a basic mindfulness practice. And again, that's that it could be viewed as awareness of breath, right? Or breath watching, breath observing, whatever, whatever it is. It's, it's, Start with something very simple, five, 10 minutes of, of literally getting into a comfortable position. Maybe that's on your back. Maybe that's seated, seated and just start to follow your breath. So to, for me, breathing is the gateway. It's the bridge between the mind and the body. So, right. If you're, we, we tend to live in this headspace where this heads, you know, what we think our perceptions, our thoughts are our reality, Right. So you have to become aware of that headspace in order to get out of it, to bring yourself inward. So literally just committing, that's what mindfulness is, is just committing towards paying attention towards your thoughts and awareness of your thoughts. And when you realize you're thinking and you're distracted, you just come back to the breath, right? And I think you start slow. I think you start nasal. And then from there, that can progress in a, in a, a lot of different directions, but, but simply just a minimal commitment, five to 10 minutes a day of, of a breathing, breathing awareness is huge because you should, what that should do is that that'll help you to slow down. That'll help you to realize how distracted you are. It'll help you to become aware of your, your fears uh, it'll help you become aware of your anxieties, all of these things. And then you just come back and, the, and now you become more tapped into the moment. So it's, it's really simple, but it's not right. It's just, I don't think most people slow down enough to even become aware of how distracted they are. And an athlete, an athlete being able to, to, to get, become more inward. It's, that's probably what flow is, right? Flow is this, this inward connection where we're not really thinking, we're not really concerned with consequences. We're just doing. And if you can work on that in that setting, I think there's, there's, you're more likely to be able to achieve that in sport as well. So I think that's huge. I think that's where you start. Yeah, man. I mean, I think that's great. It's just, it's a nice, simple way to start. And uh, there's, there's no way that anyone out there can say that they don't have five minutes in their day to sit down and start with that kind of practice. Right. 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 It's, yeah. And it's, it's, it's kind of interesting how something so simple can be, can be very difficult. And, and a lot of that is like our conditioning, like the things that we're there we're used to. And, and, and I think most of us are always, we're looking to distract ourselves and social media, things like this are, they enhance that. Right. 
but you just, again, it starts with an awareness. If you become aware of how, aware of how distracted you are, then you can start to shift things. And that's really, really powerful. It's, it really is this, this linking of mind and body because I don't know why this was really impactful for me. It was kind of an aha moment when I thought I sat down and I thought about that. And I was, so if I'm aware of my thoughts and I realize I'm living in, in my head and I'm constantly evaluating, judging, I'm projecting the future. If I can sit down and pull myself inward and focus on my breath and focus on what happens, my body expands on an inhale, right? My body uh, compresses on an exhale my diaphragm is working, these things, I'm putting my intention into my body. I'm feeling what's happening. That's the connection to mind and body. And in that mind and body connection, I think that's the, that's the root of flow. So it's really powerful. And you see that you see this in martial arts, you see this, you know, it's been taught forever. It's just, I think I, I never made that connection. I, I, I've been meditating for a while and I didn't, I didn't get to that point until probably a few years ago where I was like, okay, that makes sense. I'm not trying to meditate and have no thoughts. I'm trying to, I'm trying to become a more aware of my thoughts and pull myself inward. Right. So it's a little bit of a shift, but I think it's a very powerful shift. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think just like you said, you know, it's simple, but it's difficult. Like it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. And I think it's, but it, then it comes down to just how much you're willing to kind of practice it and repeat that practice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Change is difficult. Any way you slice it there, there's, and there's a multiple reasons for that. And, um, but once you accept that and you understand that, and then I think you embrace that as a challenge, which is you can embrace anything that way. You can look at everything as an opportunity to grow. Then that's a, that's, that's extremely important is these things that are difficult, like view them as, Oh, this is an opportunity to grow. And I want to, I want to run towards that. I want to embrace that. That's a, that's a really powerful thing. Yeah, man, of course. And um, yeah, I think that's a really, really great, like really great sort of other way to look at, uh, you know, preparation for an athlete. Like we talk all the time in our industry, you know, about everything physical, all the weightlifting, the sprints, the jumps, all of that. But just to sort of sit back and think about simply breathing, I think is, uh, it's easy to overlook, but I can imagine that it is something really important to incorporate. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. And, uh, can you talk a little bit about, you know, how you incorporate that within training your athletes? Like, are you doing these kinds of exercises with them or just sort of making them aware of these exercises to let them kind of apply it to themselves? So typically with an evaluation, that's a big piece of it. So I'll start with just having somebody lay down and breathe. And I'll talk about the importance during that process. I'm trying to get a feel on the person, the individual, how much are they, are they going to be really willing to buy into that? Or is there going to be resistance? Because again, ultimately, if I want to make, if I want to impact them and I want to change them, if I'm, you know, butting, butting heads too much, I probably won't continue to get the opportunity to work with them. So I have to evaluate that a bit, but I do tend to, I, I feel like there's a shift in that. I feel like people are more willing to embrace it. You and I are talking about it. This is going to go out. People are going to hear it. You hear really prominent athletes now being okay talking about that they have mental coaches, that they meditate. So there's a shift. But there is, there is, a, there is a piece of just understanding the person that you're in front of. So I introduce that first. And then I, as I'm looking at joint range of motion, 
because of these other things that I've studied, I can, I can look at breathing patterns. I can look at joint range of motion and I can start to piece together like what a person needs from a mechanical standpoint to enhance their movement. So that gives me an idea of who the person is. And then typically as, as we work into the program, we'll start with breathing resets, which starts first with just awareness. And then there's from awareness, from breath awareness to, to conscious breathing, where they're actually conscious breathing is now there's tempos, there's holds, there's positions that are designed to influence the shape of the athlete and influence their ability to move. Okay. And then we train, right. And then whatever the program is, wherever we are in that, you know, in that, in that cycle, in that phase, in that block. And then typically there is down reg regulation at the end. So now we're coming back to that breath awareness, more meditative. And then within that there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of different branch ops. And with certain athletes that I, that I am more involved with, I will do, you know, breathing, you just breathing days, right? Like regen, regeneration days is what I call it, where it's a recovery day and it's not externally loaded. It's high emphasis on breath, breathing, breath, breath awareness, conscious breathing and positional breathing with mobility movement. Um, like high variability type exercises. Yeah, I like that. I mean, you know, those recovery days are super important to have in your week, but just again, to be able to kind of refocus on the breathing in that way, I think is pretty powerful. Do you have any examples of uh, any athletes you work with that maybe had some resistance to this kind of work in the beginning, but have kind of come around and seen the effects of it now? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty fortunate that I would say the last few years, everyone is, is open to it. There's just varying degrees of that. So I, I can't say that there's anyone in particular that there's been a lot of resistance. I do still get it from time to time with the gin pop. And in particular, like a very alpha, a very, um, I mean, kind of a, let's just say a type A guy that let's you know kind of generalize but somebody that's you know highly successful financially maybe runs companies and and just still has this mindset that that's a that's weak you know like screw that hippie stuff right like i want to i'm here to get my ass kicked so but that's not necessarily a person that i enjoy working with anymore yeah fair you enough. Know? so i mean i prefer i really prefer anybody that is just open to be coached so where I'm at in my career, I'm pretty fortunate that I would say the majority of people are pretty open towards at least trying to embrace that or embracing that. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. And it's nice when you kind of hit that point where you can pick and choose a little bit more of, you know, who you work with and who you can kind of say, you know what, maybe we're not the best fit. <laughs> right, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then one guy I really wanted to talk and uh, dig into a little bit was your work with Sean O'Malley, because I know... You know, like I said, the goal of this show is digging into what really creates that highly successful athlete at the top level beyond just being skilled. And um, I know listening to a few of his interviews, he credits you a lot with uh, after he came back, the success that he's seen so far and just sort of the change in his game of just being stronger, being faster and, you know, being better equipped to uh, to step into the cage every time. 
Can you talk a little bit just about like how you got connected and uh, what it's been like kind of being with him through that, through that rise? For sure. Yeah, he's, I mean, Sean's great and he's, um, he's, he's so good mentally. He's so committed to growth. It, he motivates me to grow. Right. And that's a really cool relationship where his whole team is like living in this space of constant growth. So I've been around some really, really good athletes and I, I have great relationships. And I think what's unique about Sean is I, I mean, I've been there at his last three fights. I've been in his corner. So I, I get to see it firsthand. Say some of the baseball guys that I've worked with, I'm not in the dugout with them. So it's hard to compare because I'm not necessarily seeing what is what their demeanor when they're going up in the World Series with two outs, you know, and like so it's 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 almost like not fair to compare. But <clears throat> being able to see him in these scenarios, which are maybe some of the most stressful scenarios in sport, you're I think the MMA athlete is if you look at like putting yourself out there. It's, I don't know if anything compares to that, right? Because you're literally locked in a cage with another human and you're getting risk of getting knocked out, humiliated, whatever that, right? What, however you view that. It's a, it's, a, it's a pretty unique situation. So to see him operate in that space and to see him stay calm and to see him use breathing and all of these things, like it's pretty, pretty cool. It's, it's one of the highlights of my career. Um, to be able to have that opportunity to work with him. So I've known him for a while. And remember the first time I, I watched him do stuff. I just remember thinking this kid, he's special. He moves. He has a certain uniqueness about how he moves. He's really athletic. And then he has a, he had a certain mindset. So Sean's 25. I bet you I met him. It was, he was probably 20. You know, I've known him for a while. We, we didn't start to work together at the capacity we do now. So it's probably been about two years. So, but he, he just, he just embraces growth just as about as much as anybody I've ever met. And he loves training and he's, he lives it. He breathes it, which I think is really cool. So I believe, I really believe that he'll, he'll be a world champion and it's just cool to be around. Yeah, man, of course. And uh, do you think like, is that sort of something that he's always had just that embracing growth or was there something like, has he ever mentioned or have you seen something in him that kind of helps him continue to foster that mindset? Cause I know that is a difficult thing sometimes with athletes. Like they want to think differently, but it just doesn't really come naturally to them. Like, has that just been something he's always had? I, I probably to a certain degree, right? I do think there is like it's nature nurtured example at its finest. Like I think those things are intertwined and there's, pulling and pushing like always like it's not one or the other it's you you have a combination of really good genes and genetics and then you have you have the the nurturing of it from coaches from parents from friends so it is probably a combination um i think and i've heard him talk about this i think his coach his head coach tim welch who's who's at a um, an amazing human in, in his own right and has fought he's a you know he's a great fight fighter and is a really good coach i think he pulled him into that space initially. So Sean moved out here through Tim. And I know at that point, Tim was, was, was reading a bunch and was growing and kind of pulled Sean in that direction. And then those two guys together, 
are a really cool team. So there's a lot of credit to, to Tim. And Tim, I'm sure Tim has his own coaches that pulled him in that direction. So those guys are like, they're, they're coach athlete, but they're best friends. So there's a lot, there's a lot there. Those guys will, are reading the same books. They're, um, they're exposed to the same thing. So I think, I think Tim's influence on Sean really pulled him in that direction. And then I think when, when Sean was, uh, had the suspension with the UFC, I think he actively chose to be pulled in that direction even more, which is credit to him because I, because I'm a big believer that hardship will open the door for growth, but you have to choose to step through it. Right. It's it. And it can also take you the other direction. Like challenges are We grow when we're challenged a hundred percent. Right. Comfort is the, like it, it, it kills growth. So when you're challenged, you, ha you have the opportunity to grow, but sometimes you can go the other way because it's easy to say like, you know, screw, you know, screw the situation. This isn't my fault. All of these things. So he, he stepped through the door and he decided to move even more in that direction. That became an opportunity for us to, to work on getting stronger and to work on our strength and conditioning. He stepped through that door. He saw that as an opportunity as well. So that's all credit to him that in that moment of adversity, when he could have easily have been pretty angry because he didn't cheat. I'm a, you know, I hundred percent believe like it was just, like, I still don't think anybody knows what happened. Right. I think the UFC came out and was like, look, this, we, this is tainted, tainted supplements because it was crazy how it was happening. He tests like yeah. positive for like, you know, this super small amount. And then he tests negative. It's like, it didn't make sense, but he chose to grow. So all credit to him. Yeah, man. I mean, I think you nailed it with that. Like adversity is going to open a door, but it's up to you to choose whether or not you're going to step through it. Cause I remember hearing one interview of his, uh, shortly before his comeback fight, like, uh, can't remember how long ago that was now, but hearing an interview where he said, you know, in hindsight, looking back on it, a two year suspension was the best thing that's ever happened to him. And I remember that kind of resonating with me and I was sort of thinking, man, I couldn't, I would never have thought before that interview that being suspended for two years, not being allowed to do the thing you love to do could turn out to be the best thing to ever happen to you. So I love how he sort of took that and was able to, you know, almost recharge and reset and uh, continue on his career the way he has. Right. And well, his, his, his story, like there, I don't believe in overnight success, but he's, he's kind of close to that, right? Like th there's always work that happens behind the scenes. Of course. Like nobody just becomes, you know, it's overnight success, but he, he wins the contender series. He knocks a guy out. Snoop Dogg goes crazy. Snoop Dogg tweets, right? He goes from, I don't know, a couple, couple thousand IG followers to a few hundred thousand. And he has all of this, you know, now he's getting sponsorships. He's getting attention. Um, and then he wins a couple UFC fights. You know, he has the fight that he wins with the broken foot, Joe Rogg, you know, there's like, and all of his work led to that. So, but I think there was some stuff that he was, it happened quick. So when he got knocked down, he got grounded and he became even more grounded. And he realized that, Hey, I have this mission to be the best in the world, but being, 
a UFC fighter and having, you know, all these Instagram fans is not going to make me happy. Right. He, he understood that attachment and he understood like his true mission is really to just reach his potential, which you never do. Right. That's the idea is we're striving to reach our potential, but we're never going to get there. So it's, it's a cool, it's a cool thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, yeah, I love the way he was able to sort of take that and make it into such a positive. But uh, from your experience working with him, like if there's an athlete out there right now, whether it's, you know, something as severe as the suspension that he had to deal with or just any other form of adversity that, you know, an athlete's kind of facing that choice. Do I step through the door or do I let this situation beat me? Do you have any advice, any thoughts on sort of how they can approach that to understand that hey things might look rough right now but if you take advantage of whatever situation you're in and find the positive you will come out and you will get better from it yeah it's it's sounds cliche but i really believe this I, and i think you have to deep down believe this you ha, it has to resonate with you is it's it's the journey it's not the destination right it's if you can embrace that and not just say it that it's the opportunity to grow that is really the, that's the, that's everything. So, so regardless of what the op, the experience is, it's embracing the experience and it's choosing to see it as an opportunity to grow. And I think, I think that is a core principle as a human is so huge because if you can embrace that, it's, you're right. Like it could be, it, it's the workout, the middle of your workout is hard and you start to see that, that hard is that's the beauty it's you're on a, a long run and it's 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 you you're having difficulties in a relationship like all of these things become opportunities to grow and again i think we really grow when we're challenged we like if you look back at your life you probably realize that when you face adversity you probably grew the most so i think it's that i think it's you just have to you have to continue to, to, to believe that. You have to say that. You have to step back from it and see that. It's not just something that you say because everybody says it, but you believe that at your core that the adversity we face in life, is the, that's the sweet spot. That's the fun stuff because, it'll, because it'll, it'll force you to change and grow if, again, you choose to take that step. Yeah, man. I mean, I think that's one of those situations where, you know, it's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. And if you can really embrace it, then you can really yeah. use it to your advantage. Yeah, well said, for sure. And uh, just from the work with Sean as well, obviously, like you said, this was kind of a situation where not necessarily overnight success, but a pretty quick rise. Um, this is obviously a difficult situation for any athlete to face to all of a sudden be kind of in the spotlight the way he was in the time knowing him, did you sort of see much change in him day to day or how did he handle that sort of that quick rise? Yeah, I think a little bit early on, I wasn't around him as much. So we, again, we've known each other, but I took on him and I have grown as friends and as teammates and, you know, uh, you know, in my role in coaching him really, it started, during the suspension so we started working at a at a higher capacity like early on before he was suspended 
and then he got suspended. So then he, you know, it was like, we were in this process where we were, I was putting together his program and I'd get a text from him. Hey, tested, you saw to test me, tested positive. I, I'm not fighting, you know? So, and I'd say, Hey man, you know, I know that sucks. Keep your head up. It's out of your control. Don't worry about it. We're going to keep moving forward. And then it turned into, look, dude, I, I really believe this is, this can be a positive because you in that sport, it's rare that somebody gets like 12 weeks to really put together a, a really good block of training and execute and grow. You're constantly dealing with injuries and, you know, guys that are, so it, it's, it's so rare to get that opportunity. And especially for somebody like Sean, that ultimately what it came down to is he was a white belt in the gym, right? So it was like, look, man, let's, let's get stronger. Let's build a base. And this is going to help you long-term because he's super skilled and he's going to continue to progress his skills as a fighter. He was a white belt in the gym, which to me, from my experience, a lot of athletes are, is it's like, don't overcomplicate it as coaches. Like literally like they, an athlete can't stabilize. They can't create internal pressure. Their breathing patterns are wrong. They're pulling, they're pushing sucks. Their squat sucks. Their hinge sucks. Like don't overcomplicate it. There's a lot of low hanging fruit that we can start to pick off. So that is a philosophy is I think the more we learn a lot of times, the more complicated we want to make it. And if you really look at it objectively, athletes need the basics and give them the basics but a lot of times maybe we don't have that opportunity, right? We don't have the time to build that. So yeah. it's, it's, you approach it very different. If you're prepping somebody for a fight and you have six weeks or eight weeks, your priorities shift from, okay, I don't, I need to keep this person healthy, but okay, we need to get them in shape, right? We need to like, we need to work on these other things. So you might, you probably should shift your priorities where when you have, you know, you have a year that changes the game, right? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, obviously, yeah. If you're in a position where there's no competition coming up, that's prime time to get as strong, get as fast, get as explosive as possible and make sure that it's a whole other animal coming back in, coming back in the next time you step into the, into a fight. Right. And uh, just on that note as well, like I know in combat sports, a lot of the time I've run into people who kind of look at strength and conditioning as almost, you know, I don't want to say secondary because obviously the skills of the fight are going to be extremely important, but maybe don't look at it as too much of a priority. And I know uh, listening to some interviews with Sean, he's talked a lot about, you know, the difference you were able to make with him and how it really stepped his game to a next level. When you watch his fights before you guys were working with each other uh, more full time. And now after you guys have been working with each other for a while, is there anything in particular that you notice that you can sort of point to and say, okay, this is the benefit that a better strength and conditioning program has really given him and how can, uh, and like, what would you say to fighters who maybe don't have that as a real priority in their, in their training right now? So first I would say, I do think at the end of the day, he's an MMA athlete. Of course. And I think, so I, I, and I know what you're saying, 
But I think like as a strength and conditioning coach, I think we have to be careful that we're not too arrogant to, and try to make an MMA athlete a weightlifter, right? Like, but a smart strength and conditioning can enhance the MMA athlete. So it's, I think it's ultimately what I'm trying to do is as objectively as I can, how do I help him become a better athlete? And I, and I think the answer that I come up with is to, I want the athlete, I want to help the athlete express their athleticism okay so but he's not a weightlifter he's not a power lifter he's not a bodybuilder right it's it's uh ultimately again it's help the athlete express their athleticism and it's probably fill gaps in his force production and his movement quality in his um in his stability all of these things so like right that's how i see it i think with sean he was this naturally springy explosive, but he just didn't have a base of base of strength. He's his resiliency is better. He's going to be, he's going to be able to handle somebody that's bigger and stronger than him. Right. Cause Sean's always going to be this, this build that he, Sean is really strong and he's become even stronger. But I think before that, it's like guys would have beat him. Like one of the things that I thought about when I first started was like, how are guys going to beat him? And the answer I came up with is guys are going to probably take him down and try to hold him down and try to ground and pound him because they don't want to strike with him, right? So how do we how do we help? How do I help Sean counter that? Let's get him stronger. Let's let's teach him how to create more stability. Let's you know let's build this base level of of strength. So that is how I, I try to solve that problem is what are other MMA athletes, what are coaches going to do? How are they going to strategize to beat Sean? And that's what came up with. And I think that's what we set out to do. And I think now, I don't even think you've had a chance to see this. You know, the, the, the last three fights, the first two, he, he wins easy. The, the third fight, he is his freak, you know, freak injury with his foot or with his, with his nerve. So I think you're going to see like, like you're going to see a three round fight with Sean that he'll pick a guy apart and guys are not going to be able to manhandle him. You know, they're not going to be able to take him down and just hold him there. So yeah, that's a kind of a long answer there, but I think that's the way I look at it is strength and conditioning enhances sport. So it's always, and it should always be individualized. It should always be objectively looked at and say, okay, how do, how do we help these person? Like how do we, you know, how do we how do we enhance their ability to perform at their sport? For sure, I love that answer because that's you know that's always something that I find is easy to kind of get stuck. Especially like I come from a powerlifting background, so my first instinct always that I have to kind of push aside is, okay, we've got to get you know really big and strong, and then stop and sort of go, no, no, like that's for a powerlifter. Now for this actual this athlete and their competitive situation what are they going to need to be successful? Not what, not what would a power lifter need. Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. And uh, just talking about the mindset that you were talking about with him as well, just that sort of commitment to growth. And uh, we were talking a little bit before just the nature nurture mix of that attitude and that mindset for any athlete out there right now that maybe doesn't have that nurtured in their environment as much. Like they don't have those coaches in place that are, you know, helping them develop that growth mindset. What would you say is a good, good sort of first thing or a good exercise to really make sure that they're fostering that in themselves so that as they move up the levels, they can continue to 
be successful and replicate that? I, so I think, which is, would be, it's hard is potentially reevaluate the, the coaches that they have around them. Right. That that's not always easy to do, but, but you want a team and you want a team of people that are on the same page. So that's where I, I go first is, is make sure you have people around you that are supporting your dream. And I think that's, that's important in life is it's not about like, it's not about me. It's I, I'm there to support Sean. I'm there to support my guy. I don't want it to be about me. Right. My, like our, our visions are aligned, but it's not about me. It's about the athlete. So of course. I think that, which is, which could be challenging. And then I think I'd go back to what the answer I gave earlier is, is I think embracing a mindfulness practice, a uh, awareness practice, wh- whatever you want to call it, a meditation practice, and just allowing yourself the time to slow down and make that connection that every moment matters and every, and every moment is an opportunity to grow. And even in that, like if you look at it, if you're struggling to sit down for five minutes to meditate, don't get frustrated with that. That's, that's the growth opportunity, right? It's, it's the shift that something that simple can be, uh, can be a reflection of everything else is that, and probably the things that are the most difficult is also the things that we need to incorporate in our life. So if somebody really struggles with, with slowing down and, and having that kind of, um, kind of suppleness and soft, soft aspect of their training, they probably need more of it. But I think that's a really good place to start there is to make that connection that, that there's your, there's your opportunity to grow right there. Yeah, man. I like that a lot. It's just looking for sort of, again, the low hanging fruit, right? You've got these opportunities in front of you and it's just about making the decision to actually take advantage of them and actually make the changes and not just sort of letting them get you, get you frustrated and throw you off. Right. For sure. I mean, in that sport and really with athletes in general, I think we still have this, we still come from this, this uh, conditioning that we have to always be grinding and, and hard is better. And, and every training session has to be just a, a killer. And I don't, I don't agree with that. Right. I think it's sometimes it takes, it takes a, a more powerful mind to take a day off to recover. Now that doesn't mean that like we adapt, like we, it's gotta be hard. There has to be like, you can't just continue to be average in your training, but not every day has to be that way. So I always tell people that, that intention never changes, but intensity does, right? Intensity needs to be managed, but intention effort doesn't. So that same intention that you bring towards your hard training session needs to be brought towards your recovery session. And if an athlete can embrace that, they can see that as like, that's their, that's their window to improve. I think it can be shifted. So it's, it's a, today's an off day. That doesn't mean sit on your couch and eat, you know, shit food. It, it, it means I'm going to work on, I'm going to work on my breathing. I'm going to work on recovery. I'm going to work on do all of these other things with the right intent. And then when it's time to get after it, get after it. Right. Because you, you, you have to, you have to train hard to progress. There has to be stress, but that has to be managed. 
Yeah, man. I mean, I think that is a really key point uh, is just being able to manage through the week, have your hard days, have your intense days, but the intention over the intensity. I like that. Uh, I like that outlook on it a lot. Yeah. And uh, is there like when you approach that with an athlete, are you generally working those recovery days in fairly regularly or is it more of a case of like kind of waiting until you feel like they need one to throw that into a program? It depends on the athlete and it depends on where we are, but I, I try to have an adaptive kind of dynamic model to where there's, there is a, there's a plan and right. Whatever that, uh, whatever the outcome is that we're looking to, to affect, probably not be working on too many things at one time. But then it, with that, it's like, you know, we're man, we're looking at HRV. We're looking at how somebody feels or some type of readiness involvement to say if today is scheduled to be, you know, a max effort day and it's like, but the, the athlete is off that they are, they understand they should communicate that and that there has to be some, um, you know, built in dynamic nature to that. Right. So that there is some flexibility. So if you look at it, like, you know, you look at it, here's like over seven days, here's our goal, but we have some flexibility built into that model, into that plan. I think that's key because I think it, like progression never happens linear and everything matters. So it's like, it's, if you, if you had a fight with your significant other, you are, you ate shitty or whatever it is. And you, the next day you just don't feel hundred percent. That's not probably the right day for an all out effort. There's other ways to, to take advantage of that day. So I try to, I try to, I think you can have that communication with your athlete and saying, Hey, look, you know, I'm going to ask you how you feel and I want you to be okay to tell me. And then if you can have objective ways of measuring that or more objective ways, I think that's, that's key too, is maybe it's a, you know, it's a, it's a standardized assault bike and you know, you ride, you ride a mile and you see what you get. And if the person you can just see like their, the numbers way off, like something's wrong. There's a lot of ways to do it. There's a lot of technology that I think can help as well. Yeah, man. I mean, I think that's really key to like one thing to always stress is uh, the collaboration between the coach and the athlete, right? It's like we can have our plans of, you know, what's going to be the quote unquote best program at whatever given time of year. But like you said, somebody comes in with uh, a couple of crappy meals the day before or, you know, a fight with the significant other that could drastically change what's going to be the best program for that day no matter where they are in their schedule, right? 100%. And yeah. uh, I know we're approaching the end of our time here. So, man, I just wanted to say thanks so much for coming on and doing this today. I really appreciate the time. This is uh, this has really given me a lot to think about just in terms of, you know, the focus on the breathing and just the difference that can really make for athletes. So I really appreciate that. I think we've helped a lot of people today. And uh, just before we wrap up, though, if anybody's looking to get in contact with you, whether it's to talk about uh, – this interview, anything they, any questions they might have from that or uh, to train with you or just to ask you anything else in general, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. And first, first off, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity. It's, it's cool. People are doing this and, and, you know, this is how we, we make it, we make it change, right? We have these conversations. I think connection, connection is so key and conversation is so key. And that's the podcast format is really cool because we get these longer conversations. So I appreciate the opportunity and I appreciate you. Anytime, um, I, I, yeah. Instagram is always good. Um, Brandon PFS, uh, 
I do my best to try to respond to all the questions there. And, and I, you know, there's, there's links, there's links on my bio there to all kinds of cool stuff. And then it would be premierfitnesssystems.com. That's, that's my company is premier fitness systems. That's our website. So you'll find a bunch of information there and obviously phone numbers and email there as well. But I tend to use IG the most right now. I think a lot of people that that seems to be, you know, a pretty good platform. So that's a great place to start. Awesome. Well, everyone, there you have it. This is Brandon Harris with Premier Fitness Systems. If you're in the Scottsdale, Arizona area, go check them out. And Brandon, thank you again so much for coming on today. Thank you, brother. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Elite Development Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, I would greatly appreciate if you subscribed and left a review for the show. As well, I would love to hear what your biggest takeaways were from the episode. My contact info is linked below. Send me a message and let me know what you thought. As always, I'm your host, Kenny Dusso. Thank you again and see you next time.